So we will go ahead and get started. Um, so today's lesson, we're going to be talking about going from a Bible study to a church and what the differences are between a Bible study and a church. Um, and hopefully next week we can start our first official Sunday as a church. So that's what uh, the plan is here. Um, so just want to teach this lesson today uh, to set the groundwork for what we plan to be starting. Um, so going from a Bible study to a church, our text verse is 1 Timothy 3.15. It says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So what is the church? Well, globally, it is the body of Christ. Um, it's the new creature, as Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians. If you go to Colossians 1.18, you see this all throughout Paul's epistle where he talks about the church, which is Christ's body. Uh, we've taught lessons before in the past that the word church simply means an assembly or a congregation. Um, that's why you see it referred to as uh, the church in the wilderness, Stephen says in Acts 7. Um, speaking of the congregation of Israel, right, because they were assembly of God's people in the wilderness. So church does not automatically mean the body of Christ. Um, it just means an assembly. And so you see Paul say that the church or the assembly, which is his body, right? And so that's why he identifies which church he is talking about. Um, but in Colossians 1, 18 through 24... He says, and he is the head, speaking of Christ, of the body, the church. So you see there, Christ is the head of the body, which is the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. So you see that phrase again there in verse 24, for his body's sake, which is the church. So what Paul is saying here is Christ is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. Um, and the members of the church are those who are grounded and settled by their faith in the gospel, right? Those who have believed the gospel. And he says, this is what I've suffered and went through afflictions for, is for the body's sake, right? Which is the church, for Christ's body's sake. So Paul was a minister of the body of Christ, right? He was given that mystery of the body of Christ, and that's what he ministered. And that's uh, why he went through sufferings and afflictions. If you go to Ephesians 5, Verse 23, we covered this verse last week, where most people come here to teach on marriage between the husband and the wife, but Paul is actually making uh, an example of what the body of Christ is. Um, he says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So there again, Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Uh, verse 30, it says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So all those who are saved are members of this body of Christ. We are members of Christ. Um, and this is what makes up the church, people who have put their faith in the gospel. Romans 12, verse 4 through 5. 
He says, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So here again, there be many members, but it's in one body. And all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So again, this body of Christ is made up of many members. Again, it's all the individuals who have put their faith in the gospel that make up uh, this body. And then 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 27, Paul is talking about the body of Christ here. And 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 27, every verse has the word body in it in this section besides two. Um, and so this is what Paul is explaining here, what this body of Christ is and how it's made up of many members. Uh, it says, For as the body is one, it hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So he's making, uh, again, an example here between your physical body and the body of Christ. He says, for as the body is one, you have one body, um, and has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So again, you have fingers, toes, feet, knees, bones, um, nose, ears, right? You have many members, but it makes up the one body. So that's the example here he's using for the body of Christ. It's many people that make up this one body. He says that the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now have God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body." And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon those we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. So again, he's making this, this example, right? Your body is made up of many members. Um, some may seem less significant than others, but they're all important. Um, some may be weaker than others, but they're all important. They're all necessary. Um, you think about if somebody hits you on the back, it doesn't really hurt. You're, you're fine, right? Because your back can take... Someone slapping you there. If someone slaps you in the nose, your nose is more sensitive. You're going to get teary eyes, right? Your nose is uh, weaker, more sensitive there. Well, you have members that make up the body of Christ where some are weaker, some are stronger, but you need all uh, to minister to one another so that all can grow into this one body of Christ. And so it's very clear throughout uh, Paul's epistles that the church today is this globally. It's the body of Christ. It's everyone who is saved that makes up uh, this one body. And there should be a togetherness around the truth um, amongst the body. And so there should be this uh, level of unity amongst members of the body of Christ. Um, if you go to Ephesians 1.10, it 
we've covered this verse many times. Uh, starting in verse 9, it says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purpose in himself, then the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So you think about God's final purpose to gather all things in Christ, both in heaven and earth. Well, we are already in Christ, and so we should be gathered together uh, with the purpose of fulfilling God's will, right? Being members of that body. So thinking that's the final plan of Christ to gather all things in himself, shouldn't we already be uh, reflecting that here on earth, right? Coming together in unity around the word of God, uh, ministering the ministry that God would have us to do, um, being this one body in Christ, right? We are members one of another. We need to come together and act like it. If you go to Ephesians 2, 5, and 6, he says, Even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and have raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So there again, you have that word together. He has quickened us together with Christ. So those who are saved are quickened together uh, with Christ. And he's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. So again, the members of the body of Christ have a position in heavenly places together, right? We'll be up there together ministering in heavenly places. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 17. He says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so, as ye have us for an example. So again, thinking about being here on the earth, this is an example that we have and something that we need to come together to do, and that's be followers of Paul, uh, he says in Corinthians, as he is a follower of Christ. Right? Paul was our example of how we are to act and behave uh, and the doctrine that we are to uh, act according to here in this dispensation. So again, we can mark Paul as an example that we should follow our lives after. So he says, brethren, be followers together of me. So again, it's together with Paul that he was instructing the Philippians, and we should do the same, come together, uh, and follow the example that Paul set uh, as he followed Christ. First Thessalonians 4, 17. You think about the hope that we have, um, is that when we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So again, we're going to be called up together uh, to meet the Lord in the air. So it's not... Uh, well, I'm going to gather up this person today. I'm going to gather up Adeline tomorrow. You know, it's one at a time because I don't want them all coming together. No, the purpose is that we all come together uh, in Christ. You see, you have this um, unity that should be amongst the body, um, but it needs to be, of course, surrounded around the truth and the Word of God. Um, and that's uh, what we're going to look at here in a minute. That's a vital purpose of why you need a local church, so that you have somewhere you can come together. You can't meet with every member of the body of Christ um, because some live across seas, some live in different states. So that's why you have the local assemblies, so that you have people of like mind that you can come together to minister one another and to minister uh, to the world. Um, Paul rebukes Corinth for their divisions when they were coming together. If you go to Corinthians 1.10, so Corinth was not coming together in unity around the truth, but rather they were having divisions. Uh, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. 
So the Corinthians did not have the same mind. They did not have the same judgment. They were not speaking the same things. And so Paul is rebuking them for that, right? You need to come together with the same mind, perfectly joined together in the same judgment, right? So that's the focus of uh, the local church, to come together, to speak the same thing and to have the same mind, which should be the mind of Christ. Uh, same thing in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen and 18. He says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. So he says, when you come together, you're coming together for the worse because of these divisions that you have amongst yourself. And so again, he has this rebuke in this section uh, for their coming together with divisions and not coming together in unity of the truth. Um, so that's the church globally, right? It's the body of Christ that needs to come together uh, around the truth. But like I said, locally, it is assemblies. Um, you're there in 1 Corinthians. Look at verse seven, chapter 7, verse 17. Paul says, But as God have distributed it to every man, as the Lord have called every one, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. So notice there it's plural. Paul says, I ordain this in all churches. So Paul recognizes there's more than one church um, because he's speaking of the local assemblies that he goes to and establishes. Um, not the body of Christ as a whole, but the local assemblies. Same thing in 1 Corinthians 4.17. He says, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So again, in every church indicates there's more than one. And so he's sending Timothy to Corinth uh, to set things in order, to put them in remembrance of Paul's teachings uh, of Christ. Um, and he says, that's what I teach in every church, right? And Timothy's going to come to establish you in what I've been teaching in other churches. Acts 14.23, so again, this is early in Paul's ministry. There were already multiple local assemblies. Because he says, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord on whom they believed. So he says, when they had ordained them elders in every church. So again, this is early on in Paul's ministry, and you already had multiple uh, assemblies, multiple churches there. And Paul was appointing elders to oversee those local assemblies. Um, so there is this local church that you find throughout the scripture. And so that's what the church is, right? Globally, it's the body of Christ, it's members that make up this body, and then locally, it's assemblies that come together um, with the same mind and in the same judgment around the truth to do the will of the Lord, right? Um, so that's what the church is. What the church is not is it is not a business. So this is what you have often with some of the bigger uh, mega churches. Um, it's a business, right? People make millions off the church. You think about people like Creflo Dollar. Um, Joel Osteen, they have these huge churches, but these men are wealthy, right? Because they're using the church to become rich, right? It's like a business to them. Um, some people make it their career, right? I'm going to be a full-time minister, and I'm going to make my money, or this is going to be my career, is going to be a minister. Right? Well, that's not what you're called to be. Uh, your vocation here on earth is not called to be a full-time minister, right? You're not supposed to look at ministering as a job, right? It's something you're called to do uh, in the Lord, um, some people uh, say, you know, I'm, I'm going to work for my church when I get older, whether it's a secretary or song leader or something. You know, I'm trying to get a paid position uh, within my church, right? That's not what church is. It's not a business, right? It's a place where you should come together with the same mind, the same judgment around the truth uh, so that you can minister one to another. 
Um, and you see this in 1 Timothy 3, 1. Paul says, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And so if you desire the office of a bishop, you desire a good work. Okay, a good work is something that you do out of a good heart, right? You desire to see people grow. You desire to be a bishop, right? He says that's a good thing. Um, it's not necessarily a good thing if you say, hey, I'm going to do this and get paid and make my living off of it, right? Because what is your motivation there? If you weren't getting paid to do it, would you still be trying to minister, right? It's the question. Um, and so you don't need to look at the church as a business, as a place for you to make a career. Um, First Timothy 3, three he says, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. So he says, if you're going to be a bishop, uh, you don't need to be given to wine or striker, uh, not greedy of filthy lucre. So that's greedy of riches, right? Filthy lucre is uh, money. So he says, if you're going to be a bishop, you can't be greedy because it shouldn't be a place that you go to get rich or make money. Um, same thing for the deacon. He says, likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. So same for the deacons, right? You're not going to be a deacon in a church to make money, right? Um, so you shouldn't view the church as a business, right? Um, there are no positions of secretary, song leader, choir leader, program director, youth minister found in the scripture. The only two positions you find is bishop or pastor and deacon. Right? Those are the only two positions, and they have to do with setting things in order around the doctrine. Right? That's what those positions are for. You're all coming together to minister one to another, but then you have elders who say, hey, this is the truth, this is where we stand, and that's it. Right? You don't have to have all these other different positions because it's not a business. Right? Um, it's a church that you all come together with the same mind. Um, we are all called to serve, and so if you need help with keeping up with finances, if there's stuff that you purchase or whatever, it should be people willing to, willing to minister, right? You're not doing it to try to have a paid position. You're doing it because you want to minister. Um, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So again, here he's, he's encouraging them all, uh, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Again, you are a called member of the body of Christ. You need to walk worthy of that right, and be willing to minister um, as you can amongst the body. It says, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. So again, we all have that one hope of our calling, okay? Because we are all called as members of the body of Christ. Um, so again, um, there's not paid positions that you try to apply for within a church, right? We all come together to minister one to another. The only positions that you find is the position of a bishop, bishop or deacon, and those are people that set things in order that teach the truth, right, of the scripture, uh, that tell you this is what we're going to stand on because this is what the scripture says. Uh, that's the office of the bishop and what their responsibility is. You do find that uh, if someone is a minister of spiritual things, it is not a wrong thing that they receive money, that they be given money for their spiritual work that they're doing, um, but it needs to be that they're given that money out of a heart of charity. Right? You shouldn't demand money from people. Right? You shouldn't say, well, I'm the pastor, so y'all need to pay me. No, it should be, the Lord working in the people's heart saying, hey, this person's sacrificing right, to minister to us spiritual things, so 
it's not a wrong thing if we give carnal things or give them money to help them out. Um, this is what Paul teaches in 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18. He says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. So what he's saying here is the elders that rule well, so again, it needs to be an elder that rules well, not just an elder that is ruling. Are they ruling well? Right? And it takes spiritually mature people to be able to say whether or not an elder is ruling well. Right? Are they ruling according to the scripture? Are they ruling how they ought to? Um, that's up to spiritually mature people within that church to know. Uh, but he says they are worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. So notice what they're laboring in. These elders are laboring in the word and the doctrine. Uh, he says, For the scriptures say, If thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. So what he's saying there is it's okay to give a minister who's ruling well in word and doctrine money right, to make sure they're taken care of. Again, no one should enter the ministry or try to be a bishop or pastor uh, with the intent of making money. Um, it should be to minister uh, the word and doctrine. If you go to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 7 through 15, Paul teaches the same thing here with his own self. Um, he says, Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? So again, these are rhetorical questions. Do you go to war and pay your own way? Well, no, your country pays your way. Um, he says, do you plant a vineyard and then not eat of the fruit? Well, no, if you plant a garden, you're going to eat the fruit that you reap from that garden. He says, or do you feed a flock and not eat the milk of the flock? Well, no, if I raise the cow, I'm going to milk the cow, drink the milk myself. And then if I slaughter that, I'm going to eat the beef myself, right? I'm not doing it and then not eat of it. So those are rhetorical questions. He says, Say these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? And so this verse that we just read in 1 Timothy, he says here, he says, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox, the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn, doth God take care for the oxen? Or saith he altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it of a great... A great thing if we shall reap your carnal things. So that's what he's saying. You plow in hope of reaping. So he says, we've ministered to you, Corinth, spiritual things. Is it a great thing if we reap your carnal things? So what he's saying here is, it's not a wrong thing for me to ask money of you if I've labored and given you spiritual things. He says, if others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live in the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glory in void. So he uses the example of those that uh, were priests in the temple in the Old Testament under the law. Uh, the Levites didn't get a land because they were to do the work of the Lord. But what they did get was the tithe. That's what the tithe was for in the Old Testament. All of Israel gave a tenth of their fruit and their flock and whatever they uh, reaped uh, from their gardens and their flocks, and they gave it to the priest. Right? And so the priests were ministering spiritual things to the nation of Israel, but they were partaking, it says, from the altar. Right? They would eat part of the sacrifice. That was their food. 
because they weren't out raising a flock or a garden, right? They were uh, living off of the tithe that Israel was supposed to give. So he says, same thing for ministers of the gospel. They live by the gospel, and it's not a great thing if they reap carnal things from you. He says, um, I had the power to ask money of you. He said, but I did not. And so you see Paul's intent here. Um, he says he didn't want to make anyone uh, his glory in void by any man. Um, he says, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach of the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for you, uh, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glory uh, void. So he didn't want his glory to be void. Right? He wanted to say, no man would say of me, I did it for the money. And so you see Paul's heart there, and that should be the heart of every pastor or bishop. You're not doing it for the money. You're doing it to see souls saved and to see uh, saints edified. Right? So that should be the purpose behind uh, someone that's a pastor or elder in a church. Um, it shouldn't be for the money. Um, church is not an entertainment center. It's not a fun zone. It's not a social club. Right? It's important to keep those things distinct. There's nothing wrong uh, with entertainment or fun or going to a social gathering. Um, but that's not the purpose of the church. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Paul says, And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you Ivian and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Um, so Paul here is telling Corinth, right, they're carnal, and carnal simply means to be fleshly. Right? And if you fulfill the desires of your flesh, that doesn't necessarily mean you're sinning. It means you're fulfilling what your flesh wants. Right? You should ultimately be doing what the Lord wants. Right? But having fun, having, uh, like I say, going to a social gathering or having entertainment isn't a sin. It's not wrong, but it's not the purpose of the church. Right? That's not what church is. You don't go to church uh, to play with friends, to have a social gathering. Right? You go to gather together in unity around the truth to minister one to another and to grow and edify the body of Christ. Um, and so you got to keep those things distinct. Um, and it's not a place to keep traditions of men or rituals. We go to Colossians 2, verse 8. Again, you don't just go to a church to say, I went to church, hope God's pleased with me, or, well, we've always gone to church, right? It's, it's a thing we do every Sunday. It's our, our tradition. Um, that's not the purpose of a church. Paul says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So beware of people that would spoil you through uh, philosophy and traditions of men and the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So make sure the church is uh, ministering and growing up one another into Christ. Right? They're teaching the truth of Christ uh, and his word, not simply tradition. Um, Colossians 2 verse 18 through 23, it says, Let no man beguile you. Of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which ye have not seen, vainly t puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands have nourished, ministered, and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men? Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So he says, beware, uh, let no man beguile you of reward in voluntary humility. So he's talking about uh, a voluntary humility, which looks good. He says, that's not uh, what you're to be doing. 
Um, you're to be built up in Christ who gives the increase, right? Not simply coming together to follow commandments and doctrines of men uh, and acting like you have this humility of worship, right? Because that's often what traditions and uh, people who put you under law are looking for. You're looking to see, well, is this person really serious? Um, does this person, um, are they really faithful? And they're looking at your flesh to see the things you do. Um, they're not worried about your spirit and whether or not you know the truth and whether or not the doctrine is working in you. Right? They're worried about whether or not you're keeping that law, that commandment that they've given. Um, Paul says you need to be built up in Christ who gets the increase. Right? You need to be taught after Christ. And so you've got to be aware of traditions and rituals, uh, especially when you go to churches. So that's what the church is not. Um, like I said, if we're starting a church, um, it's not going to be these things. Right? It's not going to be a business. It's not going to be an entertainment center, a uh, social gathering. Um, it's not going to be a place where we simply come and hold a tradition or do rituals. Right? We're coming together uh, to minister one another and to edify the body of Christ, uh, the members that are members of the body of Christ, and grow into Christ right? and to mature uh, in the doctrine. And so that would be uh, our goal there. Um, but the church is more than a study group. And so what we've been doing on Sunday nights, we've been calling it Bible study. Um, but church is more than that. It's more than just coming together to try to study the Word. And so that's uh, what we want to start is a church. Um, study is an important function of a church, but a church should stand upon and teach the truth. So you have a Bible study. Often there's um, different opinions given, and there's no one really there to say, hey, this is what we believe. This is where we stand. If you don't agree with that, we encourage you to go somewhere else. Right? But this is what we believe to be truth, and this is what we're standing upon. Um, and that's not just the pastor's job. That should be the church's job, right? It's the church that stands upon the truth. And so you need to agree with the teaching of that church if you're going to go and say, hey, I'm going to stand with the truth alongside uh, the other people that come here. Um, that's our text verse. It says, um, Paul says, If I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So it's not that the church has all truth, but the church is to be the pillar and ground of the truth, right? Because it stands upon the word of God. And people should know, if I'm going to hear truth, I can go to the church and hear, because they stand upon the Word of God. If you go to Philippians 1.27, Paul says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I might hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So that's Paul's encouragement to the Philippians. He says, if I come and see you, because he's not there, uh, he says, um, I want to hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit. So he wants the Philippians to be standing fast in this one spirit, um, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Right. And so that's the purpose of the church, to stand uh, in one spirit and to strive together for the faith of the gospel. Uh, Ephesians 6, 11 through 13. He says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And so again, the purpose of the church is to take on the armor of God and to stand upon truth, um, to stand against the evil and proclaim truth. And then also in Galatians 5.1, uh, he encourages them. He says, Stand fast, therefore... In the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so this is his encouragement to the Galatians there, who were going back under the law, 
right? They were uh, rejecting the grace that they had learned from Paul and were going back to keeping the law, saying we got to do this if we want to be saved. And he says, no, he says, you're not under the law. You don't need to return to that. You need to stand fast in the liberty you have in Christ, right? So as a church, we stand fast in the truth. Um, and part of that truth is the liberty we have in Christ. We're not going to put ourselves back under the law, right? We're going to stand fast in the liberty and grace that we have in Christ. Um, a church has positions. So again, a Bible study, you might have someone who coordinates it or leads it. Um, but the church does have positions, and we've already talked about the bishop and deacons. Um, these are the only two positions that you find uh, in the church. Um, bishop, deacon, elder, different names for the same same thing. Uh, but in Philippians 1, verse 1, it says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops bishops and deacons. So Paul and Timotheus are writing to the uh, those that are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So again, you have Paul, Timotheus, and then you have bishops and deacons because these are positions, these are elders over the church there at Philippi. First uh, Timothy 3, 1 and 2. Paul says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. And then he goes on, so, so on and so forth of what a bishop should be. In the verse 8, he says, Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, so on and so forth. And so he's given the two positions, which is a bishop and a deacon, uh, and how those people that are going to take those positions ought to behave. Right, how they ought to be. Um, and again, their responsibility is to set things in order uh, and then also call out false teaching. So at a Bible study, you might have a lot of people saying things, whereas at church, you have an elder, bishops, deacons, who say, this is what we believe. Someone says something contrary to the truth, we point it out, right? we correct. And, and that's an important part of meeting together uh, amongst other members of the body is to get that correction. Right? Where am I wrong? Where do I need to be corrected? From the Word of God, of course. Um, how can I grow? How can I help someone else correct them if I see something wrong in their life or something contrary uh, to the scripture? Uh, that's why you need a church, and that's why a church is more than just a study group. Uh, if you go to Acts 20, verse 17 through 38, so you see this uh, in Acts 20, uh, where it says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. So this is Paul calling for the elders of the church at Ephesus. It says, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I have shown you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit, into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see me, my face no more. Wherefore, I take to you record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men." For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, or the which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers, to feed the church of God which ye have purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departance shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have shown you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the wheat, and to remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all, and they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him into the ship. So this is Paul basically telling these elders of Ephesus that, Hey, you're not going to see me again. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm probably going to die. Uh, you won't see my face no more. But what he exhorts them to do uh, in verse 28 is, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers to feed the church of God which you have purpose with his own blood. Verse 31, he says, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day. So he says you need to feed the flock, but you also need to watch for uh, these wolves that will come in, these false teachers that are going to try to steal converts. So these elders' job is to feed the flock, right, to teach them uh, the doctrine, uh, the word of God. But it's also to watch for people that come in and teach false doctrine, right? And that's what they do. They point them out, hey, you're wrong, you're contrary to the scripture, you need to leave, right? Or you need to correct what you're saying uh, in line with scripture. So that's the purpose of an elder. Um, Titus 1 verse, or Titus chapter 1 uh, actually, we'll just go to Romans 16. You can read Titus 1. Uh, it's the same thing he's telling Titus there. Um, you need to be a minister of the truth, um, and you need to shut up those who speak false doctrine. Romans 16, verse 17. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. So the encouragement here is to mark those that cause divisions that are contrary to the doctrine. He says, and avoid those people. So again, that would be the responsibility of uh, a bishop or elder to say, hey, you're contrary to the doctrine. We're going to avoid you, right? You need to, to leave. Um, so that is uh, the difference between a church and a Bible study. The church has these positions of elders uh, who oversee the church and uh, make sure the truth is being stood upon there. Uh, a church is also where you come together to minister to one another. So you look at Romans 1, verse 11 through 12. Paul says, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So Paul longed to be with those in Rome. Uh, he says so that they could be comforted, comforted together by their mutual faith. And so one reason to come together is to be comforted one of another with those who have uh, the same faith as you. Romans 15, verse 29 through 33. He says, And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the Lord, love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, and I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And so you notice Paul here, he says again, he wants to come to them, be with them. 
But he says, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers. So it's a, a place where you can go to uh, join one another in prayer um, at the church. Um, he says also that he can come and be with them and be refreshed. So again, having that church that you go to where people believe the same as you, who stand upon the truth that you believe, um, it's refreshing. Um, I've experienced this going to Grace Ambassadors, right? It's, it's very refreshing to go to a place where everybody comes together and speaks the same thing and believes the truth and wants to learn, right, the Word of God. That's a refreshing thing as a Christian. Um, you can't get that if you're like, well, I'm just going to stay at home and listen to church, right? You might learn doctrine, but you're not being comforted one with another. You're not being refreshed, right? You're not uh, coming together uh, in prayers with other believers. And so that's the difference between simply a Bible study or trying to learn doctrine uh, at home uh, and having a local church. Uh, you miss out on things if you're not going to church. Ephesians 4, verse 14 through 16. He says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, make an increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And so you come together, he says, uh, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. So again, the body of Christ is every member, right? It's made up of those who have believed the gospel. You're a member of the body of Christ. Uh, and Paul says you come together uh, so that you can be compacted by that which every joint supplieth. So again, every member has something that they can give uh, when you come together to minister one to another. Um, he says, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part. So again, you should have the word of God working in you so that you have something to give to others to minister to them. He says that make it the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And so again, that's the purpose, to edify the body, to edify itself uh, in love. And so that's why you come together, to minister one another, to edify one another, to give what you can uh, as a joint or as a member of the body. Uh, you give what you can supply as the word of God works in you. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, or just go to Colossians 3.16. Uh, you can read some of these other passages on your own. Um, Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So there is an aspect of singing uh, that is important when you come together. Paul says here that you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Um, so that's a way to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly is by singing doctrinal songs, right? Because you think about a song, you can memorize a song very quickly, right? Every word, you can sing the whole song, first verse, second verse, third verse, chorus. Um, there's a thing about music that helps you remember uh, the words. And so Paul says here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom by singing songs. Right? So again, if you're singing biblically correct songs, coming together, doing that with grace in your hearts to the Lord, it's going to help to put that doctrine in your mind, right? Because you're going to keep in remembrance uh, from the songs that you're singing. So it's important when you sing that you make sure what you're singing is truth, right? It is biblically correct, um, that it is correct doctrine because it sticks with you. Uh, it affects what you do and what you believe. Um, so that's the purpose of coming together, right? Is to minister one to another. And it's also to minister without, right? It's so you can be um, 
established in the truth. You can grow and mature and then uh, get to the point to where you can minister to those without, minister to lost people, minister the gospel, right? When you go to church, that is sound on doctrine that teaches you uh, the truth, teaches you the gospel, grows you in that. You get to a point to where you know it good enough yourself that you can teach others, right? Outside of the church. Um, Romans, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. He says, Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and have given to us ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he have made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. As Paul says, if any man's in Christ, he's a part of this new creature, this body of Christ. Um, and therefore, God has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Right, That is our ministry to minister reconciliation to the world um, as God's ambassador. Sorry, an ambassador is someone who represents a country or represents uh, someone else. And that is our job as members of the body of Christ to be ambassadors for Christ, to represent him, to minister reconciliation for him. Um, there's many other passages you can read there about the works that God has ordained for members of the body of Christ, uh, things we ought to be doing. Um, but that's why you come together, is to grow, to get established, so that you can minister to the world, uh, so that you can be uh, someone that is rich in good works um, that the Lord would have you do. And then lastly, it is to grow in the doctrine. So again, that's where the study comes in. in Ephesians 3, 4. Uh, Paul's talking about the mystery that was given to him. He says, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So there has this reading of the word of God that you have to do um, in order to have knowledge in what God has said. Here, Paul is talking about the mystery of Christ uh, that he was given. Right, You have to read about it to understand it. And the church is somewhere where you can go that someone who has read it, who has studied it, can maybe teach it to you. Right, And you can learn and grow that way. Colossians 4.16 Paul's letter to Colossae, he says, When this epistle is read among you, so they read it among themselves, he says, Calls that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Um, so he's saying, after you've read it at Colossae, you need to read it to the Laodiceans, uh, the church there. Um, so there's this uh, point of church where you go to learn the doctrine. right? And that's what Paul's saying here. Take this letter, the doctrine that I've read in it, Make sure the Laodiceans have it, right? Because doctrine is important. That's what you're standing upon. Uh, that's what you're growing from. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, something similar here. He says, sorry, it's not 5.17. It's 5.27. He says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. So he charges them, make sure you read this epistle to all the holy brethren. So it's not just for those who get the letter, right? Oh, we get the doctrine. This is for us. No, it's for all the holy brethren, right? Because it's for the body of Christ. Every member uh, needs the doctrine to grow into, right? Uh, and then 1 Timothy 4.13. So Timothy being uh, an elder, 
being a pastor, a bishop, Paul tells him, he says, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So that is a purpose of the church. It's something we are to give attendance to, to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Uh, and of course, we get that from the Word of God. Right? So the church, the purpose of the church is to be the ground and pillar of the truth. Right? To come together, to minister that one to another, and grow up uh, into Christ. And so as we move forward... Um, starting a church, that is going to be our goal, right? To be a biblical church, um, to have a place that we can come together to study the Word of God and to grow up in it. Um, so with that said, any thoughts or questions?